Hey, my name is Colton. I'm one of the servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope that you can lean in and enjoy this message. Well, hey, we, we are in, uh, we're in the last week of our, of our series, Brick by Brick, where we're talking about building the church together. Like, what does it look like for us, not to build the institution of the church, the organization of the church, but rather to build God's people together. And more specifically, last weekend, we, we taught from a message entitled, Building the Church Like a Family Together. And I want to I wanna kind of pick up where we left off last weekend, because we, we shared last weekend this quote from Jerry Bashirs, who's a professor at Western Seminary. He says, to understand God, you've got to understand that God is a family who creates family. In fact, more specifically, we began to identify all the different places where Jesus himself begins to teach on what the family of God is intended to look like. And we said that the, the vision that Jesus has for his church really is one like a family, like a, like a healthy family. And, and more specifically, we said that the, the church that Jesus has a vision for is deeply inclusive. Like it builds a bigger table, not higher walls. Like, like Jesus' family is not a clique. In fact, he intentionally tries to tear down walls and add more seats to his, to his table. But then at that table, we also identified that, that the vision that Jesus has for the church that he's building, for the family that he's building, is one that is courageously confrontational, where we, we are intentionally having conversations privately with one another in an effort to help each other grow. How many of you know that growth is really hard on your own, but sometimes we are too proud to ask for help, and as a result, we really miss out on the transformation that God intends for us to have, that community likened as unto a family, is intended to help us grow by having some courageously confrontational conversations. We say, hey, I don't think that's the best way. I think God's plan, or rather, I think God has a better plan for your life. Let's, let's talk about that some more. And then we concluded last week by identifying that the vision that Jesus has for his church, like a family, is one that is uncommonly committed. I was reading recently in this this. This guy, the author of this book, he was saying, he's like, hey, you know how like today in our world there is this growing trend where everybody wants to be different? And we're doing all sorts of things just to kind of be different, whether it's dress different or pursue a different career or go to a different school than my parents went to. And we're just all trying to be different. And he, he identified, and I thought it was so true. He's like, if you really want to be different, if you really want to stand out, learn how to just simply be committed. Come on, somebody. Like we have so little commitment today not just in the world, but even more so, I think even more so, in the church. We just kind of bounce from one thing to the next, from one idea to the next. And we identify that the vision that Jesus has for his family is one that is uncommonly committed. Because it's not common. We don't see commitment as a, as a common theme in most people's, lives, most people's lives today. I began thinking just... Just recently, as we're, as we're leaning into our three-year celebration in two weeks that we're going to be celebrating outdoors on our property off of Africa Road, we can't wait. In fact, I, in fact I'd say it like this. I think, I think October 3rd, our three-year celebration, is, it's one of the best opportunities that you have to invite your friends to church because, because it's kind of like low-key traditional church, high-key loads of fun. Okay, like I can promise you that whoever you bring is going to have a blast, and you can guarantee them that if they don't, we're going to give them their money back. It's free. And so it's, it's going to be, it's going to be, it really is going to be so much fun, but as we've been leaning into and kind of going, getting ready to go into our vision weekend and our three-year celebration, kind of two, two big weekends for us here, here's a church, here's a community at, at Ethos, and as I've been thinking about what it really looks like to kind of build a church like a family that we're going to continue to kind of talk on 
today, I couldn't help but kind of think about some of the early conversations that Courtney, my wife, and I began to have about starting the church. In fact, I can remember one of the first conversations that we that we had, I think it was about seven and a half years ago, because I remember Courtney was pregnant with our son Judah, who's now seven, and so it couldn't have been much longer ago than that. And I remember sitting on our back patio, and I said to my wife, hey, babe, I, I really think, I, I'm really just kind of beginning to feel more and more impressed, like God is, God is kind of leading us to start a church, to, to what we call plant a plan a church. I remember Courtney, she, she instantly, but also casually, and if you know my wife, this is exactly how she would respond. She, she's like, no. <laughs> hey, babe, I think we're supposed to start a church. No. <laughs> you can start anything else, but, but let's not start a church. And of course, we obviously had more and more conversations, and you can tell now who wears the pants in our home, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Let's take that out of the podcast. And so... <laughs> But, but the more and more that we started having conversations, Courtney and I just kept throwing around names. Like, what are we going to call the, what are we going to call the church? And, and at some point, we actually identified that we wanted to call it United City Church. <laughs> because we, we were really fighting for the name United, or the word United to be in the name of the church. Because we always dreamt that we would have a, have a really united church. How, how many of you know, though, that, that, that the journey of life rarely ever goes where that you think it's going to go. Like, like, you could all, like, the last year and a half have kind of been a microcosm for the entirety of all of our lives. Like, they never really go according to the script that we intend for them to go. And as I look back the last three plus years of being a part of Ethos, and honest to God, I say this with full sincerity and genuineness in my heart, like, thank you all. For whatever capacity or part that you played in this, you played a part just simply by being here today or... Those of you who are watching online, there's so many people who have even been a part of this journey at one point or another and have moved away and still watch us online every week and they keep in touch with us consistently. And, and I just, I sincerely thank you for being a part of this journey. Like it's been a, it's been an incredible journey. It has not been a journey like we thought that it was going to be. And yet at the same time, maybe you came today just simply to hear this. Maybe the only reason why God kind of intervened and brought you into this place or cause you to begin watching online, which we do not believe is an accident at all, is to simply hear that no matter what twists and turns you have found your life taking, no matter what space you find your life inhabiting right now, that it's not a surprise to God. Like, God's got this. Like, he's got the, the challenge that you are experiencing in your home, at your job, with your kids, with your parents, at your school. Like, like, God's got this. And I've had to be reminded so many times over the last, more specifically, even just the last year and a half, like, God's, God's got this. Like, God's bigger than any problem or challenge we face. And the love of God is greater than any situation we ever may find ourselves in that we think God couldn't possibly be concerned with the small nuances of my life. No, God is a good, caring, gracious, loving, merciful Heavenly Father. And one of the things that I know to be true about God, too, is that he desires for his people, he desires for, for you and for me and all of his churches to be united. In fact, what God prescribes for his church is unity, but what God doesn't prescribe for his church is likeness. See, so often, though, what we pursue in our lives is to be like somebody else, or actually more so even, for other people to be like us. But we often don't pursue, though, is, is unity. 
And I want to just throw a quick conjecture out there and maybe see where this may land for, for some of you. But, but likeness, likeness isn't actually a part of what God prescribes for your life at all. In fact, the more you follow Jesus, the more that you'll begin to discover that Jesus will surround you with a lot of people who may not be just like you, but God still calls you to live in community, a community of unity with those, with those individuals. In fact, psychologists have actually identified, you can do this research on your own, that the reason why you and I pursue people who are just like us or even make decisions that come in line with the things that we like or the things that we prefer, prefer rather is because we are all pursuing safety, security, and affirmation. In fact, if you would even just pause for just a moment and reflect on the decisions that you make, the things that you say yes to, and the things that you say no to, you'll quickly identify that all of them have some element of safety, security, or affirmation attached to them. And so we want things that are like us because they make us feel safe, they make us feel secure, they make us feel affirmed. And those are three laws that most of us organize the majority of our lives around, but, but those three things, they didn't not matter at all to Jesus, but they seem to matter far less to Jesus than they do to us today. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, we see one of, the, one of the earliest examples of the family, of the tribe, of the community that Jesus was building. We pick up in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, where it says that Jesus called his 12 disciples, the 12 young teenage boars, boys who, boars, <laughs> like, like just little wild animals following Jesus everywhere he went, but they, the 12 young teenage boys who committed their lives to following Jesus, they we see Jesus calls them all together and he, he gives them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And these are the names, listen to this, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, there's Simon, who's called Peter. Then there's Peter's brother, Andrew. Then there's James, it's the James son of Zebedee. Then there's his, his brother, John, Philip, and Bartholomew. Thomas. Then Matthew, the tax collector. Then there's the other James, son of Alphaeus. And there's Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who who later betrays him. Now, as you recognize the names of these 12 young teenage boys who committed their lives to following Jesus, only two of them were identified with a moniker at the end of their name. We got Simon the Zealot and Matthew the Tax Collector. Now, no word in the scriptures landed in our modern day Bible on accident. Another message for another day. But every single detail here was intended for us to pick up on, lean into, and better understand. There's a reason why, why Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot are given a bit more description as to who they are. Now, a zealot in first century culture where Jesus is asking Simon to come follow him, a zealot was somebody who actively plotted against Roman oppression. Rome and this nation at the time was extremely oppressive, of which we can't really relate to in our country today. And so there are people like Simon who was, who was a little bit like the mob meets Robin Hood, put them two together, and there you've got yourself Simon the Zealot. Like, the Zealot was somebody who you would want to be your friend, but you did not want a Zealot as your enemy. Zealots were literally, as history records, individuals who would find ways to secretly take out different Roman officials that they blamed for different decisions that were happening or different oppressions that were happening across the nation. So Zealots were some, like, they were some bad dudes. Then you've got Matthew. Matthew the tax collector. 
Now, tax collectors are on the payroll of Rome. So you've got Simon, the zealot, who is actively plotting against Roman oppression. Then you've got Matthew, who is taking advantage of the fact that Rome is so oppressive. And can you imagine when Jesus calls these two guys to come together? Hey, Simon, come follow me. Me? Yeah. But do you know what I've done? Do you know where I've been? Do you know the people that I've taken out? And Jesus is like, yeah, we could, we could use some of that too. No, that's not what he says. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Oh, and hey, Matthew, Matthew, hey, you should come follow me too. I got Simon with me. And Matthew's like, uh, Simon has tried to kill people like me. And Simon is like, yeah, Matthew has actually hired Roman guards to kill people like me. And Jesus is like, I know. You guys should come follow me together. Imagine if you were given an assignment by God. He says, I want you to, I want you to get a team of 12 young guys together. I want, actually, I just want you to get a team of 12 people together. And this team is later going to change the world. Okay, cool. Sounds good. All right, who should I pick? Oh, I know. I'm going to add Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi to my team. <laughs> now multiply the tension of that team times 10, and literally that's what you have on the team that Jesus is building. Sometimes we can read the stories of the scripture almost like they're fairy tales, and we forget. No, no, no. The reason why... Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector are mentioned with these monikers after their name is because the scriptures wanted us to know that Jesus wasn't building a team that was just like one another. He was building a team that was intended to be united with one another. You, you got to understand that, that today, the call to follow Jesus, it's a simultaneous call to live in community, in unity, with other followers who have been called to follow him too. And this is really critical. I've actually worked kind of hard over the last week to think of ways to say this with enough gumption, so to speak, that it kind of just hits, it just sort of connects. And the best that I got is I've just prayed really hard this week that God would allow this to just kind of, just kind of soak into the soil of our soul, so to speak. Because... If we're honest, as we even identified last week, followers of Jesus really for the last 2,000 years have been known for just about anything other than being a community of unity. Like we've been divided on all sorts of issues. We've been divided on social reform, on environmental stewardship, on war, on justice and equality, on politics. I mean, even church history reveals the division just within the church itself where entire congregations have split as they've argued about ordination, church government, establishment of leadership, different ways that we should receive the sacraments and, and pursue the sacraments of Christ. Like there's all sorts of things that churches have divided over because the reality is, the reality is that the enemy, Satan, Hear me, church. It's always trying to take a united group of people and cause them to become divided. And God is always trying to get a divided group of people and cause them to become united. In Psalm chapter 133, the psalmist actually reveals to us that it's when God's people come together in unity that God pours his blessing out on that community. Like there's a, there's a blessing 
in a community of unity. In fact, let me say it like this, that the enemy succeeds by making us more aware of the things that divide us. But God's intent is to strengthen us by committing, by committing us to the things that actually unite us. The enemy's always trying to make one become two. And God's always trying to get two to become one again. That's the intent. We, we have far more in common, church. We have far, I can only speak to ethos. We have far more in common ethos. We have far more in common, not just with the people in this room, but even with the other churches all throughout, all throughout our region here, all over the world for that matter. We have far more in common than we have that makes us different. In fact, I, I want us to identify through the scriptures kind of four things, just kind of four things that, that I believe that, that God is calling us to commit to here at Ethos, that God, is, that God is calling us to lean into and make a commitment to as we begin to recognize that as we commit to the things that unite us, we begin to kind of put in our rearview mirror the things that divide us. And consequently, we begin to receive and experience God's best, not just in our own individual lives, but even more importantly, in the life of his, the life of his church. This is the type of church that Jesus is calling us to commit to. These are the things that Jesus calls us, I'll say it like that, to commit to. First, we've got to learn to commit. We've got to learn to commit to a common experience. The common experience of having been forgiven by Jesus Christ. See, so often we find ourselves divided over all sorts of different issues, whether political or even just in our own families, whether people raise their family versus the way that you raise your family, the way that, the way that you pursue Jesus over here, the way that someone pursues Jesus over here. And yet I think that we've got to find ourselves once again saying, yeah, but hey, but yeah, you've been forgiven by Jesus? Well, hey, I've been forgiven by Jesus too. In fact, I'm, I'm speaking right now to you if you're a follower of Christ. If you consider yourself to be a Christian, if you're in here today or you're watching online and you say, man, I don't really know what I believe about God yet. You have a, you have a complete pass on what we're talking about today. Maybe, maybe the benefit that you have today is kind of just get a sneak peek behind the curtain and get to see like, what is the church supposed to be? It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be a group of people who say, I've been forgiven too. And as a result, you and I have a whole lot in common. In fact, look how Paul wrote how he says it in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says that for Christ himself has brought peace to us. How did he do that, Paul? Well, he united Jews and Gentiles. In other words, he united two completely different groups of people into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. And we, as a result, need to keep like blinders on our eyes. We need to keep this commitment that we share this in common with one another. That we share in common with the person on your left and on your right, no matter how different you think they are from you. We share in common a commitment to the experience that Jesus Christ saved you and saved me. Not because of something you've done, you didn't deserve it, I didn't deserve it, but thank God he offered it freely to each and every one of us. The second thing that we can be committed to it's to a common interest. What's that common interest? We remain committed to a common interest, which is a desire to know Jesus more. In fact, I really pray that this would be kind of the compulsion of our hearts. 
that we would be able to set aside so many of our differences even in the years to come and we'd be able to, together, we'd be able to say, oh yeah, but you want to know Jesus more? I do too. I know that you think that this is the way in which our nation should move, and I believe that this is the way in which our nation should move, and you believe that this is the way in which legislation should be formed, and I believe that this is the way that legislation should be formed, but we both believe it. Why? Because we just have a desire to know Jesus more and to see Jesus made famous in our nation more. Yeah, but Jordan, how could two groups of people who both want to know Jesus better actually see things so differently? It's because you've been created differently. Like, you... You are different than the person on your left and on your right, and you see things through a different lens than the person on your left and on your right. And Newsflash Church, that's why we need one another, because your perspective is actually the thing that strengthens one another. It's the ways in which you think differently that actually sharpen our views, and sometimes the habit is the older we become, the more firm we become on stances that only divide us, and in in fact, they're really only intended to make us better. Let me explain it like this. This is, how, this is how Paul says it. He goes on, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18. He prays his prayer for the church at Ephesus. In fact, parents, this is a great prayer right here that you can just take straight from Scripture and pray over your kids, pray over your spouse, pray over your friends, young people. I, I pray this over our church every single Friday morning. Paul says it like this. I pray that you may have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's really too great to fully understand, and then then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. What's Paul saying? I pray that you all would have a desire on the inside of you just to simply know Jesus more. That in the midst of the mistakes that we make, in the midst of the sin that we commit, in the midst of the error of our way, there's still something in us that says, yeah, 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 but I, but I really do want to know Jesus more. In fact, Paul at one point even begins to express some concern to his young protege in, this faith, in the faith, this young pastor by the name of Timothy, where he wrote this letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He said, he said Timothy, you're going to find that there's going to be times, listen to this, There's going to be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching. They're going to fill up on spiritual junk food, on catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They're going to turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. But you, Timothy, keep your eye on what you're doing. Stay focused on what unites us. Accept the hard times along with the good. Keep the message alive. Do a thorough job as God's servant. The part I really want us to lean into is found really, really at the beginning here where Timothy says there's going to come a time, and come on church, we've been living in this time for a long time now, where we don't have the stomach for solid teaching. And so as a result, we turn to preachers and to teachers and to books that simply kind of just give us uh, an opinion, just to kind of, I don't know, tickle our fancy. You got to love the Bible, right? Like, and yet, we, we all do this. We all find ourselves divided over opinions that just kind of, just kind of, well, I kind of like that more, and so I'm going to move in that direction. We expressed last week that there used to be a day where we chose our community based off of that 
based off of that community's theology, not their ideology, not just their ideals, but now today we are separating because of an ideal, not because of theology. And we find ourselves becoming more divided rather than becoming more united. In fact, let me encourage you with this. And I really believe this is encouragement. I hope, I hope this helps. But, but there's, this, there's this illustration that I was taught years and years ago as it relates to the way in which we understand the truths of God's word, there's really kind of three realms that everything that you believe falls into one of these realms. The first realm is absolutes. Now, the absolutes are the core. Absolutes are things that we should divide about. Absolutes are the parts of our faith that are non-negotiable. These are things like the, trini- like the Trinity, like that God is three in persons, but one in essence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These are, these are things like the virgin birth. These are things like the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. These are things like the grace that's offered to us as a result of not what you've done, but because of what Jesus did for you, that we can be made right with God, having nothing to do with your goodwill or your acts, but rather because of the commitment that Jesus made to you and to me. These are the absolutes of our faith. And when churches don't line up with absolutes, yeah, there's, there, are, there actually ought to be some division there. But then there's things that kind of fall into the category of our conviction. Now, you, you should have some convictions about your faith. When you read the scripture, there should be some things. As you're taught the word of God, as you study it for yourself, as you discuss it in small groups with people who maybe been following Jesus a little bit longer than you, there should be some things at the root of your being that says, I have a really strong conviction about this. But I would offer to us that several of those convictions should not be things that cause division among us. Sometimes they may. In fact, this is really where we've seen so many denominational splits, so many church splits even, over just convictions. We're going to teach more on this in greater detail in the new year, but but I want to offer this to you right now for a very specific purpose. And and, and the the third thing is, is our opinions. Now, opinions are things that it's really hard to have convictions about. The things that we see in the scripture, but they're maybe not real clear because they're only referenced one time in the Bible and it's just with one verse and it's just with one scripture and we're like, ah, I think this is what it means, but I'm not really sure. And so here's my, here's my opinion. Even today, you, you know why a lot of churches are splitting? It's because of opinions over masks and vaccines. In fact, a recent study that I that I was sent was showing just how many churches have declined significantly simply because of their stance over masks or vaccines. In fact, I was talking to a local pastor not too long ago, one of, one of the, really one of the heroes of our, of kind of the northern side of Columbus, Terry, Terry Lewis, and he's been pastoring Grace Point, Grace Point Church up in the north side of, of Lewis Center for, I think, over 20 years now. And he was telling me, Jordan, I've never, in 20 years of pastoring, in this area, I've never seen more division in churches than I'm seeing right now. Oh, wow. And I began to ask him more and more questions, and it all came back to division over opinions. Now, I offer that to you because, here, here's the deal. We all have to identify the thing that's causing me to divide The thing that's causing me to separate from my brother or sister in Christ, is it an opinion, a conviction, or an absolute? If it's an absolute, okay. Okay, we need to have some intervention there. We need to have some real serious, difficult conversations there. But if it's an opinion, and some of you will only know an opinion because here's what I've discovered too. The longer I follow Jesus, the more I realize that some of my convictions are actually just opinions. 
And th- those of you who have been following Jesus for quite some time, you can identify with this. If you're a little bit younger, maybe this is going to go right over your head, and that's okay. But, but, I, but I found there are some things I used to be really convicted about, and now as I look at the scripture, I'm like, ah, I don't know. Maybe I could see it another way. I could see it like this. But there are other things that used to be opinions that now have kind of crept into the conviction category. I'm like, no, 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 I really think that this is it. This is what, and yet at the same time, what I will refuse, I will refuse, I will remain committed and refuse to allow a conviction or opinion to separate God's people. And what I'm asking of you today is that there be a commitment in your heart that you'd say, I make a commitment to a common experience. I make a commitment to a common interest of knowing Jesus more, and I make a commitment to a common service. Common service of what? A common service to serving God's people. A common service to setting aside our preferences and saying, no, no, I'm I'm gonna make a commitment. I'm gonna make a commitment to loving people well, to serving people well, to out-serving one another, really. If, if you're, how many married folks do I have in the room right now? Can I see your hands? Can you play along with me for a moment? Quite a few of you, actually, more than I, more than I thought. But, but how many you know, when you're married, it's kind of easy to keep score, isn't it? Like, a lot of fights in marriages happen because you feel like you're out-serving your spouse, or your spouse feels that they're out-serving you. And sometimes it's true, and sometimes it's not. But we often say with young couples as we're, as we're going through premarital, we say really the healthiest marriages are two servants who are, out, who are trying to outserve one another. Like I actually think it's okay to keep score, like, but I always want to win. Like I always want to outserve you. I'm pretty stinking competitive and my wife is too. And so we say, hey, what if we actually just made a commitment to outserve one another? And I think what would it look like for a church, for God's people to make a commitment to actually outserve, that at the end of our life we would actually be able to sit back and say, I have outserved more than I've looked to be served. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are seasons of all of our lives, and I pray that we could always be a church, even, that would embrace and recognize and sincerely interpret and kind of just gently even recognize, like, hey, you just need to take us. You need some time to don't stop serving. You need some time to heal. You need some time to relax. You need some time to rest. You need, you need some reprieve. But then let's get back in the game because following Jesus is a team sport, an individual act. And we need to follow him together with a common commitment to serve one another. In fact, in Matthew chapter 20, there's one of my favorite stories. We find, once again, kind of the, the 12 disciples are all together, but... But James and John, they, they go off and they're hanging out with their mom, apparently, at one point, and, and their mom bring James and John back to Jesus, and the other 10 disciples, the other apostles, they're not within earshot of the conversation that James and John and their mommy are about to do and have with Jesus. In fact, the mother of James and John comes to Jesus and says, hey, sir, um, can I ask you for a favor? Sure, yeah, what's up? Um, when you establish your kingdom, would you allow my sons to sit, one on your left and one on your right? And of course, so many of the people that day, they thought that Jesus in the kingdom that he came to establish was one of like significant authority, that he was going to overthrow Rome and kind of set himself under the throne of Rome. They didn't understand the kingdom that Jesus was really trying to build was one of service. And so Jesus looks at the mother of James and John, and she says, he says, you don't really even know what you're asking. Like, yeah, I'm not sure that you really understand the request that you're making. And then, 
And then the story goes on, and we're going to pick up here in verse 24 of Matthew 20. It says that when the other 10 heard about this, when the other 10 heard that James and John had their mommy do their bidding for them, they became indignant. This is just a really simple way that, simple way that the scripture is saying, they became pretty mad. They were pretty frustrated, irritated by James and John. And so then it says that Jesus recognized the division. He recognized the separation that had taken place among his 12. So, so he calls them all together. And he says, hey, 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 listen, everybody. He says, you, you all know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the rulers in this world, they, they lord it over their people. And they kind of... They kind of force people to do their own bidding for them. They kind of force people to serve, to serve them. The high officials exercise authority over them as well, but not so with you. This isn't going to be the way that I build my kingdom here, fellas. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must stand up for your rights. Fight for your freedom. Force yourself to the top. That's not what he says. That's usually what we do. That's not what Jesus says. A couple years ago, I was actually hanging out with a bunch of friends, and we were at this large event, and a bunch of pastors were there, and, and myself included, I was engaging in this conversation because this guy was talking about the way that he built his social media platform. This pastor was talking about how he got all of these followers, and he was saying, I really feel like the more followers I can get on social media the greater influence I can have for Jesus. And I think his heart was totally pure, and I really do. I'm not judging him at all. And I even walked away thinking like, yes, that's it. I remember grabbing lunch with one of my friends who were in that conversation with me too. And, and as we're talking about this, I, I said, man, but it doesn't, doesn't it kind of feel kind of odd though? Like John the Baptist actually said, like, I got to decrease so that Jesus can increase. And here we are so often trying to increase with the misunderstanding that as I increase, Jesus will increase. And that's not the, that's not the, that's not the case. Jesus says it like this, that, that instead, whoever wants to become great among you, you gotta be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to know what it really looks like to become like Jesus? Right here's his mission statement. This, this is hard to preach, church. People don't usually come out in the droves to hear a message of how we become better servants for Jesus. But this is exactly what he said. He said, you know, you know the reason why I came? It wasn't so that y'all could serve me. It was so that I could serve you so that you would look, so that you would know what it looked like to serve other people when I'm, when I'm gone. You gotta, you gotta have a commitment to a common service. You know true love, like actual real love, not superficial love, not love that we have for people who are just like us, who serve us well, but, but true love is to really forfeit one's own rights or privileges on another person's behalf. It's actually give up something of yourself so that somebody else can be elevated higher than you. That's real love. It's the kind of love that Jesus, that he calls us to. And the last thing that I'm asking, that I'm, 
that I'm encouraging us to commit to as we continue on our journey, as we go into, into the fourth year as a community here at Ethos, is to, is to commit to a common goal. We got far more in common, church, than we have that makes us different. We're going to commit to a common experience, to a common interest, to a common service, to a common goal. What's that common goal? It's a common goal to let the world know who Jesus really is. When's the last time that you, when's the last time that you told somebody about Jesus? When's the last time that you invited somebody to church, invited somebody to join your small group? I'm not saying this to condemn you. I, I, I pray that this comes as somewhat of a challenge to you. Like, when's the last time where you, because all of us would say, yeah, that's a great common goal. But when's the last time that we began to actually live this out practically? Like, here you go. Who is close in relationship to you but far from God? They need you. They need your commitment to this common goal. There's a lot of stuff that's going to try to divide us in this world today. And I'd love to think that it's only going to get better, but I don't know that it will. But that's okay because we're committed. Because we have a commitment to say, no, no, I'm going I'm I'm to unite around the thing that unites us. Jesus said as he kind of closed out his entire time and his teaching here on earth with his disciples in Matthew 28, many of you are familiar with this, it's called the Great Commission. Because Jesus came and he told his disciples, hey guys, hey guys, I've now been risen from the dead, so y'all really need to listen to what I'm saying now. Like before, you may not have been paying attention, but now that you saw me actually die and resurrect, like, hey, I want you to know I've been given all authority. This is, this is basically Jesus' version of saying, hey, hey, fellas, I'm the man now, okay? So listen up. He says, therefore, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go and do the thing that I've just done for you, and I want you to go into all the world and do it for other people too. And I want you to baptize them. That's what we're going to be doing in just a few weeks. In two weeks, on October 3rd, on a three-year, we're going to be celebrating with baptisms. And the greatest reason I can give anybody to be baptized is simple, because Jesus instructed us to. That's it. That's it. Really, baptism, honestly, in its, in its purest sense, is a, recognition, is a recognition of being born into the family of God. And we would love to celebrate that with you. If you want to get water baptized, you've never been water baptized, regardless of Regardless of how long you've been following Jesus, we want to celebrate with you on that day. You can sign up online. But Jesus goes on. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then teach these new disciples to obey everything that I've, all of my commands, everything I've taught you guys. And be sure of this. I love Jesus. Man, Jesus is so good. He ends with this encouragement right here. Somebody needs to hear this right now. He says, be sure of this. That no matter what you face, no matter what you come up against, I'm going to be with you always, even to the very end. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you always. The reality is is that we both grow and thrive together in community, and that's separate from one another, separate from living in unity, separate from remaining committed unto one another. We will experience very little growth in our life. In fact, as you look back on your time of following Jesus, I would... I would challenge you, like, how many messages actually changed your life? Probably very few, if any. But how many relationships really changed your life? Probably a lot. Because that's where growth is intended to take place. 
in a community of commitment unto one another. See, we believe that church is not a gathering you attend. It's a family you join. And sometimes it is one ugly version of a blended family. But it is one that we are committed to continuing to build together. And here's what I've discovered. That God really isn't looking for mature people. He's looking for committed people. There were a lot of people that Jesus called to follow him, many of whom said no. Many of whom were more mature than some of those who said yes. But it was the committed ones that went on to change the world. So how does this get really practical for you? Well, I want to I want to offer to you that as we remain committed to a common to a common experience, the common experience of of being forgiven by Jesus, that maybe there's somebody in your life that you need to forgive. That you need to just take a moment even right now and kind of settle in your heart. God, I'm committed to the common experience that you have forgiven me. And so therefore, as I reflect on your forgiveness offered and extended towards me, I have the strength to forgive those who have offended me. Don't allow offense to be the thing that drive you apart. Think about an offense is really offense that separates you from somebody else. But forgiveness is the thing that kind of tears down the fence and brings us back into back into a united community. Maybe you got to commit to setting aside some of the opinions that we discussed a moment ago for the sake of for the sake of unity. Maybe there's some things that you've kind of kind of hung your hat on, so to speak. And God right now is saying, no, set that aside, set that aside. My unity is more important than your opinions in that, in that area, which is hard for some of us to hear sometimes because sometimes so many of us attach our identity to our opinions in really unhealthy ways. Or maybe you got to commit to serving more than you're looking to be served. Or maybe you got to commit to telling a friend to come and see, be a part of my small group, come and check out our church. Hey, let's grab coffee. I'd love to talk with you and help encourage you in your walk with, with Jesus. I don't know what commitment it is that Jesus is calling you right now through, through his spirit to commit to you, but I want to invite you right now just to close your eyes for a moment. Bow your heads. We do this at the end of every service.